welcome to everybody. Good morning. Uh, happy Easter, Resurrection Day. Um, we are so glad that you're here. Um, for those of you who are here for the first time, you might be out of town. I met many of you who are out of town, out of state, uh, but some of you are just checking us out for the very first time. So for those of you who are near, new here, you've never been here before, uh, my name is Brent and I'm the pastor here at Northridge. But uh, one thing that we want you to know that, that this is a safe place for you. We say this all the time, every Sunday, because it's so important to us and we know it's important to you, that this is a safe place for you to explore what it means to follow Christ, to follow Jesus on a daily, relevant, regular basis. And uh, that's what we're all about here at Northridge Church. And so we're glad that you're here. Uh, But I wanted to start out with a story. Uh, There was one day, and this was in a small private Christian school, elementary school, you know, the kind that they hold in churches. And uh, the kids, they were, they were in line and they're little, they had this little room, this small cafeteria. And, uh, and they're going in to have lunch and they, they go up to the, the table where they keep all the food, right? And these are elementary school kids. So, so they come in and, and the first tray that they come to is this huge pile of apples, right? And, and some of the kids, they love apples, some don't. But either way, they come to this huge pile of apples. And next to it is a sign. It's very legible, written very nice. So it's clearly written by one of the teachers at the school. And, uh, and it says, take only one in capital letters. God is watching. So the kids walk through and they see the apple and they're like, okay. And so they take one apple. And so they go through, they get the rest of the food. At the other end of the table of this, in this small cafeteria, they come into another tray and there's this huge tray of cookies. I missed that school. I should have gone there because you know how I feel about cookies. And there's this huge tray of cookies. And next to that tray is another sign. And this sign is not as legible as the first one. It's not written nice and neat. In fact, it's kind of scribbled. It was clearly written by one of the elementary students. So they had snuck a sign up there. And the sign said this. It said, take all you want. God is watching the apples. (laughs) Yeah. Not the way that you think that story's going to end, is it? Right? Like that was a twist. But I tell that story because I love that story. It's just hilarious. It makes me laugh every time. But I tell you that because today's story that we're going to focus on is the Easter story. And that story did not end either as anybody thought, did it? And just like you guys, after I told you the end of that story, there was a twist. It was not expected, but it gave us laughter. It gave us smiles. It gave us joy because it was a great ending to the story, wasn't it? Today, we've got the greatest story ever told. And even though the ending was not expected, it brought the greatest joy that could ever be given to the world. And so uh, we are finishing up. We had a two-part series. Last week, we started it. This week, we're finishing it called Torn Triumphant. So last week, we talked about the torn part of the, si- the story of Jesus, the, the part where he dies on the cross for our sins, and, and he did all that. And today, we get to talk about the triumphant part. Of course, here is Easter. And so we're talking about the victorious, the triumphant part of the story. And, uh, and then what we're going to do today is we're actually going to figure out the triumphant part, but we're also going to put the two together. Why? 
Was it torn and triumphant together? So that's what we're doing here today. So let me set up the story. If you like to follow along, I'll kind of give you a heads up. You can follow along. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. It's actually on your handout. It's on the top there where you can take notes. But Matthew chapter 28, if you'd like to follow along. But I'll set up the story. So last week we talked about the fact that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying because he knows what's about to happen. Judas comes in and he betrays Jesus and Jesus is arrested. He's carried off and they put him through a series of trials where they try to find out what is wrong with this guy. They're trying to find some dirt on him, right? They're trying to find something wrong that he did. The problem is they can't find anything wrong, but even though they don't find anything wrong that Jesus ever did, he did nothing wrong. They come up with fabricated charges and they decide that they're going to crucify him on a cross. So Jesus is crucified, and then uh, three days later, we fast forward, and he's placed into that day, actually, that he was crucified, Joseph of Arimathea. We don't know, really know who he is. We know he was a follower of Jesus. He was a Christian. And he asked for Jesus' body because he owns a huge tomb that's actually built and dug out of solid rock. And he decides that he wants to be able to bury Jesus in the tomb that is for him and his family. That says a lot. And so they bury Jesus in the, in the tomb that's made of this solid rock and they roll the stone in front of it. They seal it and they post guards outside. But the story that we're going to focus on today is not that one. We need to fast forward three days, don't we? Because today is Easter. And today we get to focus on the story of that Sunday morning. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. Let's read it and then we're going to unpack some things about this story. Matthew 28, starting with verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. I probably would have done the same thing. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now, go quickly. Tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. So I want to just quickly summarize a few observations that are really key out of what we just read, because there's a lot there. Okay, the first thing is that it's early Sunday morning, right? Early, it says, as the day was dawning. So literally the sun is just coming up, or maybe it's just before it, it comes over the horizon. But either way, it's early in the morning. It's just at the point of dawn. And these two ladies, they're coming to the tomb, and we don't hear it in Matthew, but if you look at a couple of the other gospel books, we find out that they are on their way to honor Jesus and his body with some spices. Now, this would be kind of like, we, we wonder why are they bringing spices? That was kind of the same thing as if we would bring flowers or some other token to a graveside today. Okay, so if you would go to a graveside to honor somebody, this is what they are doing. They are simply going there to honor Jesus and his life on this Sunday morning. So they're still grieving, they're still doing this, but they're doing this to honor and remember Jesus. So it's Sunday morning, they get there, and I want us to, to kind of take notice of a few things. The guards are still there. 
The guards are posted outside the tomb. So they're standing guard just like they're supposed to, even on Sunday morning, okay? They're standing there, they're guarded. When the ladies get there, there's a stone still rolled over the entrance. It's sealed. Everything is in place. Then there's this great earthquake. The angel comes and rolls away the stone, and then obviously everything else transpires. Now, why is all of this stuff important? I want to make a couple of points. The, the tomb is still guarded, right? The guards are still there. The stone is still in place. Now, we've done archaeology. We've actually discovered many, many different types of tombs from the time of Jesus in Israel. Okay, We see them. We know where they're at. We can actually have pictures of them. We know exactly what they look like. We've measured and weighed most of the stones that they used in front of there. The average stone that is in front of the tomb is anywhere from one to two tons, Okay, anywhere from two to 4,000 pounds each, these stones. Now, that's on average. This one could have been bigger, could have been in the average. We don't know. But it was huge, and it was rolled in front, and they put a seal on it to make sure that nobody could actually claim that they were able to open or do anything. So you had to have several guys be able to open this. So the guards are there. The stone is there. Now, I want you to notice something, because I don't know how you view the resurrection of Jesus, but the stone was not rolled away when the ladies get there. The ladies get there, then there's this earthquake. The earthquake does not move the stone. That's what a lot of people think. The earthquake did not move the stone. It's very clear from this account who moved the stone. It was the angel, wasn't it? The angel moved the stone away from the tomb. So I I, I want us to get the picture out of our head. This is not like Jesus is alive and he's inside going, Hey, let me out. Like, I'm good now. Right? I don't know if you've, this is probably maybe not a thought that you've never had before. This is the way I think. Okay? So now you're getting a, a window into my, my weirdness. Okay? So, so Jesus is not inside like, hey, hey guys, let's move the stone. Right? The angel does not move the stone away to let Jesus out. Jesus is already out. Okay, let's be clear. If Jesus can conquer death, like he defeats death, I'm pretty sure he can get out of a stone tomb. Right? I mean, it's just pretty, pretty obvious. Jesus is already out. He's gone. The tomb is empty. Even though the rock is still in place, it's sealed. The angel rolls the stone away. Why? Because he wants the guards and the women to see the tomb is empty. The tomb is no longer filled with a body with Jesus. He is gone. He is risen. He is alive. And he wants them to be able to see that. And so this is an important point because sometimes we say, okay, they got there and the earthquake rolled the stone or anything like that. But this is a key point. Now I want to fast forward. Now let's go to the very next verse and see what happens. The angel tells the ladies, hey, Jesus is risen. He's not here anymore. Now go, tell the disciples, tell everyone you can that Jesus is risen from the dead. This is a big deal. And so now we're going to pick up where the lady, what the ladies do. Okay, verses 8 through 10. It says, the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, understandably, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So a couple of things that I want to mention about this part 
It might seem weird, but the first thing that these two ladies do, see, they're on their way to tell the disciples, and then all of a sudden, Jesus appears before them. And the first thing they do is they run to Jesus. And you know what we probably do? Like, if you're excited to see somebody, what do we do? Like, big hug and be like, you know, if it's the guy thing, it's like the man pat. Right? You have to do that. Like, you know, most it's like, yeah, hug it in. And guys, we don't like to hug it in as much. And so we're like, make it manly. Right? And that's what we do. And and so whatever. But they don't do that. They don't hug or do the manly thing, of course. But... They, they go down and they grovel and they, they kneel down at Jesus' feet and they grasp, it says they, they grasp his feet. There's a couple of points I want to make out about that because that's really important. First one is this. They show all of us what we need to do when we're in the presence of Jesus. That we need to bow. That we need to surrender our lives. Now, Do I mean that every time you come into church, you need to be on your knees and grab somebody's feet? No, that's not what I mean. But I mean in your heart, in your soul. When we are faced with the presence, with the power, with the grace of Jesus, the most important thing, the only thing, the only appropriate response for us is to surrender our heart and our soul before him. And the ladies show us that. But then there's another part that maybe we haven't thought of. And this is actually a really big deal because this is what propels Christianity forward from this point. Notice that they grasp his feet. In other words, they're touching, they're holding on to his ankles, his feet. Why is that important? It's important because of this. Jesus is not a hologram. Jesus is not a figment of their imagination. Jesus is not some spirit thing ethereal like vision that they see okay if it was if it's a hologram if you try to touch a hologram's feet you know what's going to happen you're going to fall over because there's nothing to touch there jesus is real and they actually touch his feet and grab a hold of them as they worship him he is truly alive in every way possible so a question that you might have this morning is on easter and i think this would be a good question Why is the resurrection important? Why do we get dressed up? Why do we wear purple of all Sundays, the only day that... I'm just kidding. That's not... It's maybe where I'm thinking this morning, but that's that's all it is. Why is Easter such a big deal? Why is the resurrection such a big thing? That's a good question. And there's there's a big reason for it. And the word is, there's one word why the resurrection is absolutely important. And the word is hope. Hope. Because of the resurrection, we have hope. We have hope. The women, think about the two ladies on that morning. They were on their way to the tomb. They're grieving. It's probably, we don't know, but maybe they're crying, right? They might still be in in that mode after losing Jesus that they're still maybe in shock. Maybe they're still in that point where they... It's hard for them to even believe that Jesus is gone. You know what I'm talking about? If you've lost somebody that you love, there's that time period where you're in shock and it's almost like you're you're expecting them to show up again in the normal mode, right? That's where these two ladies are at. They're grieving. Their heart is broken. And they're on their way to the tomb and then they get there and then all that transpires and then they leave having seen 
Jesus, not like a vision, but really worship Jesus. They've touched his feet. They know he's there. He's alive. And so what changed? Everything changed. They went from having complete despair, loss. Jesus is gone to now. Jesus is resurrected. He is alive. We have complete hope of everything. So the question you might have is, well, good, but what does it mean for me? I think that's a great question. Well, let me ask you this. Some harder questions. Some things wondering where you're at this morning. Maybe maybe you're here and you're facing something that is very difficult or you don't know the answer to. If you, are you here and you are facing something that is very scary or difficult or hard for you? Are you here and maybe you're frustrated with life? Anybody ever get frustrated with life? I do. <laughs> Fairly often. Anybody here have conflict that they're dealing with in their family? With your circle of friends in your neighborhood? At work? Anybody? I'm sure work is a perfect place, like no conflict. Anybody dealing with conflict? Is anybody here maybe dealing with an addiction? An addiction to drugs, alcohol, pornography, something else. And it's destroying you and you know it. Nobody else does, but you know. Is there an addiction that you, that you have? Is there an, anyone here, and this, this is maybe an addiction that we have and we don't know it's an addiction, but is there anybody here who is just feels stuck in a mundane, routine everyday kind of blah, blah, blah life and you hate getting up every day? Anybody? Anybody here depressed? Lonely? Tired? Anybody? See, the relevance of the resurrection is this. Jesus gives us the greatest news we can have because if you have a yes to any of those questions and and if you didn't, You're probably lying (laughs) because we all deal with this stuff, right? We all do. And the greatest news that there is is the fact that Jesus is resurrected from the grave and he gives us the fact, the hope, that if Jesus can defeat sin, the sin of the entire world and death, in one set time, in one set of days, if he can do both of those things, then I'm pretty sure he can handle anything that life has thrown at us. Wouldn't that be true? That we have hope of being able to conquer literally anything that God throws at us as far as what he can throw at us as far as hope. Now, a lot of you feel like maybe God has thrown this to you. Just so that we're clear, we're going to talk about this in a minute. But this world is broken. God doesn't throw these things at us. God is there to give us hope in the midst of these things. And to give us a promise that there is something far greater than this earth. And so we have the greatest hope that there is with the resurrection. Now, uh, here at Northridge, we have a motto that we live by. Most of you who are regular attenders here at Northridge, you know this. But our motto is, live full of life. 
Live full of life. What do we mean by that? What we believe and what we live by and what we uh, complete, everything that we're about is this, that the best life, the only life that is possible to give us the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction, the greatest purpose in all of the world every single day is to live with Jesus at the center of it. So that's why we say live full of life all the time. Jesus himself actually says this. In John 10.10, this is what Jesus says. He says, I have come that they, all people, may have life and have it to the full. Notice that Jesus does not say, I have come so that they can get through the day. Right? He didn't say that. I have come so that you can get up on the first snooze alarm instead of the second or third. Jesus did not say, I have come so that I can make life bearable. Jesus does not say that. Jesus says, I have come as a baby and grew up and then died on the cross and then resurrected from the grave so that you, so that I, so that all of us can, if we choose, can have the greatest life full of joy, meaning, and purpose that we can ever experience. You know why? We are frustrated and tired and mad and anxious and conflict and everything else. A big reason is because we have not grasped the feet of Jesus and said, okay, I'm yours. Because Jesus says, I will give you the fullest life possible. Now, there's one barrier to this, isn't there? We all know what it is. We talk about it here all the time at Northridge. What is the barrier that we all have that keeps us from Jesus, that keeps us from God, right? What is, what is that barrier? There's a big, big barrier. But before I get to that, if you're here and you're wondering, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Because let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to show up to church every Sunday. That's an important part. I believe in that. If I didn't believe in that, I certainly wouldn't be here, you know, to preach message every day or every Sunday. But it's really important. But that's not what it means. To live a life for Jesus means that it's a daily thing where we surrender to him. And I want to just take a side note real quick. Because if you're wondering, if you've always wondered, I don't know if maybe you have, but if you've wondered, okay, we talk about God, we talk about Jesus, we talk about the Bible all the time, but what does it look like when I'm at work? What does it look like when I'm at home playing with my kids? What does it look like when I'm trying to get an Excel spreadsheet done, (laughs) right? Or whatever the case is, what does it look like to follow Jesus on a daily basis? Because I get it in church, we're sitting here, we're worshiping God, I get that. But what is it every other part of the day? Well, the next series that we're going to do, we're going to start it next week, is called The Home Run Life. And we're going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus on a daily basis. Now, we did this series, very similar to this anyway, uh, about three years ago when we were a year old as a church. After that series, we had amazing transformation of some lives because people started living according to this model that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. So let me just put this out there. If you have wondered what it looks like to follow Jesus on a regular daily basis, we're going to cover that in detail for the next several weeks. This is your blueprint, and we're going to use baseball as our background. Isn't that great? It's baseball season, and the Brewers are doing pretty good, right? And we're going to bring some other baseball stuff in. You'll find out about that later. You'll have to be here. 
But I just want to put that out there. The next several weeks, we're going to do the home run life. And we're going to talk about how to have a home run life, how to live for Jesus. But there's one thing that holds us back from the home run life. To illustrate this one thing that holds us back, I have a video. It'll illustrate the very thing that holds us back, this tendency that we have that holds us back from the home run life. So take a look. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one. So then you'll have to. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm going to go do something, and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Oh, it smells really How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> she ate the first one right away. <laughs> That's why they showed that. Isn't that funny? I mean, that's just funny. But what's interesting about that video is that shows the issue that we all have when it comes to God in this life. This world offers us sin in the form of, maybe it's a marshmallow. For me, it probably would be, or a cookie. But this world offers us, it tantalizes us. It says, hey, Do this and you will be satisfied. Take this. Go this way. Have that affair. Go over here. Do this. Lie. It's fine. Get yours. Gossip. It makes you feel better. And we take on and we give in to temptation. And what God is saying to all of us here is this. It's kind of like the marshmallow test. 
God is saying to all of us here, he says, listen, do not give in to sin and I promise you will have something greater, far beyond, even better than two marshmallows. God is saying to us, if you give in to sin, you will have that temporary, temporary high, that, that temporary feeling of exultation because you are in control of your own life, but then it will turn out far worse for you. And God says, trust me, reject sin, stay away from it, live as I am calling you to live because I have something that is so much greater than what you can come up with. So much better. A life that is full. The home run life. As you guys know, there's only one way to defeat sin, isn't there? The only way to defeat sin in our life is to accept Jesus. It's the only way. If you have not, you have not defeated sin in your life. You have taken the first marshmallow and shunned everything else that God wants to give you. Will you accept Jesus? There's a story about a Christian missionary named Dave who felt God calling him to the country of India. And so he moved over to India and he lived there for years and years and years. And his, he knew that his calling, what God was asking him to do, was to help the people of India know what the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus meant. And so he met this uh, old man who was a Hindu. And uh, he, was a, he was a fisherman. He was a pearl diver, actually. And uh, this old Hindu man uh, and the Christian missionary, they became very close friends you know, the kind of friends where they'd get together and they knew exactly when somebody else was going to be at the beach. They didn't have to set the time. They were just close friends. They became the closest of friends, dear, dear friends over the years. And the Christian missionary would constantly tell him about who Jesus is and, and what this would mean. And, and so he shared this with him again and again and again. And then there's one day they built this amazing friendship. And one day the, the Hindu man told his, his friend, the Christian man, he said, I'm going to be going away for, for a long time because I have to crawl on my hands and knees uh, to all the way to the city of Delhi uh, in order to pay penance, in order to work for my salvation in the Hindu religion. And the Christian missionary, he said, no, you don't understand. You, don't, you shouldn't have to earn your salvation. But the Hindu man said, no, nope, this is what we have to do. I have to do this to earn my salvation. And the Hindu man told him, he said, but before I go, I wanted to give you something. He said, I want to give you a, this box. And, and this box, there's something very special in it. He said, there's a pearl in here. It's, it's actually one of the largest pearls ever found off the coast of India. He said, I, I haven't told you before in all our years, even though we're close friends, I haven't told you, but I had a son once. One son. He was a pearl diver. And my son dove down and he found this pearl. But he, because he stayed down to get this pearl too long, he ended up coming up and he ended up dying from the pressure that he had gotten being underwater too long. So I lost my son. But I found, he gave me this pearl before he was gone and I've kept it all these years in this box. It's, one, it's the most special thing to me. 
And the Hindu man said, I want to give you this, this box and this pearl. And the Christian missionary said, no, there's no way I can take this box. There's no way. Um, I will take it, but, but I need to pay you for it. I'll give you, you $10,000 for it. And I have to find it. I have to get it together. Or, or if that's not enough, then I'll work the rest of it off. I'll spend the rest of my life working for, to, to pay for this, but I cannot take it from you. And the Hindu man said, no, you don't understand. This is more valuable to me than any money or any work you could ever do for me. You don't understand. My, my son paid with his life for this. There is no value to this. It's, its value is more than you can imagine. I want to give it to you freely. And the Christian missionary, he realized that this was his opportunity. And he talked to the Hindu man and he grabbed his hands because they're dear friends. And he looked at him in the eyes. And he said, don't you understand now? This is what God has been telling you your whole life. God gave his son Jesus as a free gift. You and I, nobody on this planet can pay enough, can work enough to earn salvation. It is absolutely not possible. He said, what you're doing for me is what God has already done for you. He's offered you something that is beyond value and it's free. This is what I've been telling you about Jesus our whole lives. And at that point, the Hindu man's eyes brightened and he realized And his friend asked him, will you accept Jesus? And the Hindu man replied, he said, I've believed in the doctrine, the theology of Jesus for a long time, actually. But I could not believe in and I could not understand that it would be given away freely. But now I get it. I will accept Jesus today. I have one question for all of you here. Have you accepted Jesus? If Easter is about anything, Easter is about that question of have you accepted the forgiveness, the grace of Jesus? And yes, it is free. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And for some of you in here, you know you've never accepted Jesus. There's nothing magical about the words that I'm going to pray that that you can pray to God. I'm simply giving you a suggestion of words. But if you're here and you've never accepted Christ, it's free. God has offered it to you. All you have to do is take it. And God promises to give you joy in this life and promises to give you eternity with God after this life. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to pause and then I'm going to pray again for the rest of us. We don't usually do two prayers, but it's Easter, right? So let's bow our heads. I want everybody to bow your heads and I want everybody to close your eyes. For anyone in here who has never accepted Jesus, you've never done that. Here's what I want you to do. And you don't have to say it out loud, but this, you say this to God. You just pray these words to God. Say, Jesus, I know you died on the cross for me. 
Thank you for taking away my sins. Today, I believe in you. Today, I accept you. Today, I take the free gift of salvation. Today, I am forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, for not only dying on the cross to take my sins away, but thank you for loving me and for defeating death and raising from the grave. I love you, Jesus. I accept you today. Today and from here on, I will be known as a follower of Jesus. Amen. So before I pray one more time, this is a very, very important piece of this. If you're here and if you prayed that prayer, I don't know that. Somebody else, it's important for us to know that simply so that we can follow up with you, help answer any questions you might have. I promise to you, those of you who have accepted Christ here, many of you have here at Northridge, you can attest to this. I promise to you the only thing that will happen is that I will call you and I'll say, hey, congratulations, this is the biggest thing. You have eternity with God and I'm excited for you. And do you have any questions? I might sound a little excited when I'm on the phone with you. But it's important that you let us know because we track all of this because this means that you have chosen eternity with God. And so you got a connect card. And if you don't have a connect card, you can get one. But on there, just put your name and a way to contact you and check on that box that says, I, I have decided to follow Jesus. I accepted Christ today. That's really an important piece so that we know who have, has chosen to follow Jesus today. Will you do that? Those of you that prayed that prayer. And just drop it in the connect card box and just check. I have decided to follow Christ today. All right? So don't do that before, make sure you do that before you leave today. And then you can get to brunch or whatever else is going on. But that's an important piece. So now let me pray for the rest of us. God, I thank you for everybody that's here today. I thank you for dying on the cross for us, but I also thank you that you didn't stay in the tomb, that you are resurrected. So Jesus, right now, we, we just want to spend the last few minutes honoring who you are, giving praise to your name. And now as we just spend the next few moments, the next few minutes, giving glory and honor to you, Jesus, I pray that we would honor not only the fact that you rose from the grave, that you're resurrected, but Jesus, that you, that you also gave your life for us, that you died on the cross for our sins, for my sins and for the sins of everyone here. Help us to honor you, Jesus, and worship you now in the next few minutes. Pray this in your name. Amen. <laughs>